I, I chuckle because it is the, I'm sure there are other teachers listening to this who are like, yes, 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 she's saying the thing out loud of one as a teacher, like just that respect level of when you walk into the classroom that has my name on the door, you believe that I know what I am doing. That one, if you're the person who hired me, that's you, you saw it in the interview, but two, even if you aren't, I gotta believe that if I'm a new principal or a new admin, if you're still here, you know what you're doing. And let me just go start from that space, that spot, and let you as a teacher, like show me who you are rather than assume that, you know, you can't possibly know. Like me coming in, I'm dean with my three years. And again, if there are any deans who are hearing this with you, <laughs> feeling it's an attack on deans right now. <laughs> it, it, it's not. It's merely one of saying um, there have been others who have had a year or two and they're mediocre, okay years, but they knew like, and even if they didn't know, like once you're a dean, you are not all of a sudden better than. Yes. Yes. Well, I think it, sorry, you keep going. No, I was going to say that your, your, your role as a dean should be, I'm here to facilitate in the same way that as a teacher, I'm here to facilitate kiddos I'm not the bearer of all knowledge kiddos are always teaching me things of like yeah I didn't this didn't know that and so like we're both learning and so similarly like if you come in with the mindset of like Wooly <laughs> let me bless you and I will level you up rather than like Wooly you already got it in you I just have to point it out to you so that we both can acknowledge the thing that you are doing well um so that you know here this is one thing that you did well here's another thing that you're doing well keep doing those things and here you can tweak this or I would suggest doing this because it's worked for me see if it works for you and if it does great if it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't hurt to to say like oh it didn't work okay what else do I got that I can right. can can tell you or share with you well because I think that like this connects to like, I 100% to everything that you just said right and I think about one the role of imposter syndrome in this and then two I think about Renee, right? <laughs> which are, we're, you know, both connected a lot in some of her work. And when she talks about positioning yourself as a learner versus positioning yourself as an expert, and there's so much like proving that goes into when you feel you have to show up in a space and like, oh, I'm supposed to be the expert, as opposed to I can show up humble and curious, and that will actually be of more service to your growth than me coming in feeling like I have to position myself as an expert. And I think a lot of particularly charter school spaces, although not exclusively, there's this like achievement orientation, climb the ladder kind of thing, right? That then pushes people out of the classroom and into the dean roles, into the AP roles with without a deep sense of their own identity as educators, their own skill set as educators, like, okay, well, they say I can do this. Now I've got to like put up this front and pretend like I know what I'm doing, right? To compensate for my imposter syndrome. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to call you out on all these things that I think I see in these places that I can push you because that's what I think it means to like be an effective and like, you know, expert leader. And if I just show up and trust you and ask questions, like, how can that possibly count? Right? How can that, that that's not me contributing. Um, which is something I have to push myself on a lot too, right? Is when I'm going into a new school sometimes, because now I, as a 
consultant and a coach, I go in and I will be a lot of times like the instructional coach, right? Who's walking into somebody's classroom and, you know, I didn't hire this person. They don't have a long track record with me. And I have sort of these twin imperatives of like, I want to build trust with them, right? And a rapport, but I also want to like prove that I'm a value, right? Like you're, you're making the right investment and the temptation to just start showing up and like criticizing and like, oh, you should do X, Y, and Z can be really strong and can also be reinforced, right? Like to have that, there's this bond that comes from like an attitude of superiority sometimes is really sort of toxic bond of like, oh, look at that person struggling over there. If they would just do X, Y, and Z. And it's like, that's not helping anybody. <laughs> um, certainly not making you a very effective leader and it's not helping that person in the classroom, but it's less vulnerable, right? Than like showing up and really being in the trenches with them, especially if somebody is struggling, right? Like it's easy for me to come into your classroom and be like humble and curious, right? Cause it's like, well, you're doing a great job, right? Like, let's talk about what do you want to push on? What do you want to work on? Sometimes I go into teachers' classrooms. I'm like, this year is a brutal, brutal year. And I'm coaching a lot of folks who like, this is their first year teaching or it's their second year teaching, right? They started in virtual and schools that don't have a lot of mental health resources for their kiddos. And so they're dealing with a lot in the classroom and to really sit in it with them and like acknowledge the things that they're trying and like, yeah, that kind of worked, right? Like this piece didn't, it gets much more vulnerable because I want to either as a coach, right, come in and like help them hit a home run immediately right? Or be able to point the finger and be like, well, it's your fault. It's not my fault, right? As a coach that you're not succeeding right now. And neither of those spaces are really helpful <laughs> to anybody, right? I had a conversation with, um, she's a sub, she's like a long-term sub for one of our, I think, kinder classes. And she's like, Wooly, I subbed once for a sixth grade class and I knew uh -uh, I cannot do middle school. And I said, I hear you. However, this year is different. And like folks have been saying it. However, I don't think if you haven't been in education for, I want to say at least five years. Yeah. Because like you said, the first year for a lot of us is just survive. So that's not sufficient of a data point to yep. be like, oh. And then your second year is when you start to sort of get your legs. And the third year, I think, is when it clicks of like, oh, this is yep. me. I know it works, et cetera. If you didn't have that time to, to develop that, yep. and like, like you mentioned, if year one was 2020, you were physically in a classroom and then all of a sudden it goes away. And then year two was 2021, where for m many folks, it was just all virtual. Yeah. You didn't get the chance to build, like, the rapport with kiddos to know, like, who the kiddos are at the beginning of the year, to the middle of the year, to the end of the year. Well, there's three different kids, <laughs> yep. um, which is understandable because you, too, are different because the first year you come in, the beginning yep. of the year, is just like, I need, what, what is my style? How much of me am I showing, et cetera, et cetera. I remember my first year, yeah, don't smile till Christmas. I can't do that. Within the first two minutes of walking into the school yard, I'm just like, these kids are fantastic. I'm smiling. Yeah. So that doesn't work for my personality. There are some who can hold that, but that's not me. But if 
if this is the year where if, if these last three years have been like the only thing you've had, yowzers, there's no way that you're going to be able to see like the potential that, oh, there's so much more than the wonkiness that this year, these past two years have, have created. It's distorted in a way that I just tell anyone who will listen, like, do not base it off of these last two or three years because I have a good grasp of how sixth and seventh graders, those are the two years that I've taught, are supposed to behave. Yep. So seeing kids this year, I'm like, no, no, you're not where you ought to be. No one's identical. However, you are not behaving yep. in the way developmentally a sixth grader or a seventh grader. 12 or 13 year olds should be behaving you really are as if you're still a fifth grader which I taught for one year and I was just like yeah the lower yeah. middle school early that's not my jam my lane is more of the sarcastic just give me the give me the crack openness just so that I can throw that zinger in and let you know how old you are mm -hmm. that is my playground I'm like yes because that's not what I had when I was growing up so I'm like <laughs> I will be that I will be that for you and, but also just throw it back at you so you know, like, if you want to, we can jab and we can spar. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. He's older. <laughs> he has a bigger <laughs> bag to go into. <laughs> so I can't just throw anything out. Where if you don't, if, if you're not, if you don't have that in a kiddo who is in the seventh grade, presenting as a seventh grader, but yeah. then all of a sudden reverts to a fifth grader, just like, but why? And throws into a tantrum yeah. when you look at them sideways, like, you should be further along. This shouldn't cause you to have a complete meltdown. Yeah. But if you understand the past two years, this child has been at home. They've gotten to be their 100% self and not have to conform to, I'm with 20 plus other human beings who also need this, yeah. <laughs> one other human being's attention. Like you, if you understand that and give that child some grace, like you will proceed accordingly <laughs> but if you've never had that then I can see how difficult that could be and I can only imagine if you were a teacher for a year or two became a dean during the pandemic and are attempting to coach <laughs> someone on this platform like yeah this is how you should be able to get your virtual classroom in order and it's like sir ma'am are you for real? <laughs> None of the cameras are being turned on. <laughs> I'm getting no response in a chat box. And you're telling me I should do what? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which again goes to the thing. And I, I think uh, one of your other guests was talking about, like, if you as a leader are not ready and willing to like come in and cover classes, to lead classes, to actually like do the work that you are asking teachers to do, and not just being willing, like actually doing it on a regular basis, which was a really great push and something that, you know, Mike or other AP really prioritized because yep. you can think it's amazing. You were talking about it earlier, how quickly, once you leave the classroom, you forget what it's like to be in the classroom. And if you don't find ways to not just like, think you remember what it's like to be a teacher, but actually put yourself in that seat to sit and grade papers with a with a teacher to go cover their class to go in and model the thing that you supposedly think is going to like make a big difference in their classroom you're just really can very quickly lose perspective with what's actually 
happening and what you're asking of your teachers and how much they're dealing with. And I think that there is, you know, I think a lot about, um, I guess it was two years ago, you know, the, the racial reckoning summer when we were all supposed to be doing our work. And I say all of us, the white people, right, doing our work and our reflection and figuring some of these things out. There's that document that um, came to light to me then. I don't know when it existed of like aspects of white supremacy culture, right? And it was like, I don't know if you read it, but it's like perfectionism and like worship of the written word, right? And intellectual. And I think there are, it was to me, like one, like, oh yeah, yes. <laughs> um, and this is me. And this is like so much of charter school leadership culture also, like things that are um, prioritized, things that are put upon you, like the pressures that you feel like this is what good leadership, quote unquote, is. And all of those forces are so out of alignment with everything that we're talking about, right? Of being able to like sit with folks, right? And like problem solve alongside each other and to allow things to be messy and to take their time and to be curious and not have a one size fits all solution for things that are like deeply messy and complicated and to recognize like that's not about lowering expectations, right? It has nothing to do with our belief in kids, but I think there are so many folks in education and I feel anecdotally that it is more so among my fellow white folks in education of like, we got to get back to normal, right? Of like, we just got to hunker down and push through instead of like, no, we need to slow down. We need to look at what's going on. We need to solicit the input of our folks on the ground who are doing the work about what profoundly needs to change in our schools to reckon with what our kids and what our adults have been through. Listening to you, I'm wondering, when did that click for you? When did that moment happen? Because I'm sure there are plenty of listeners, and I would venture to say that the listeners who are of color were like, look, I've been saying this for the longest time. I mm -hmm. know, like, and even if I didn't have the, the vocab to articulate it beautifully, yep. telling you that kids having children be silent in the halls as they go from one spot to another just doesn't feel right having kids walking a line just doesn't feel right having kids like this being the model of compliance just doesn't feel right i don't have the research or i don't i can't quote you but i can tell you like being in the classroom like this doesn't feel right that i am going to penalize a kiddo that's doing this yeah and that's and if that some way them doing this is keeping them from being able to learn or that is being interpreted or taken in as unprofessional or they're not learning because I'm realizing in these conversations that I'm having with educators is just like, okay, I wasn't the only one. <laughs> and so I'm sure there are others and speaking to what you're saying, like there are other white folk who are listening to this wondering like, okay, I'm still on that other side of the fence. What was it that got you over? Or how can, or what can be said to them in order to help them come to the other side? Because what I've realized is I can speak, 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 but it's not going to be this, it's not going to hit the same if it's coming from me versus if it's coming from, from you. Yeah. Or someone who looks like you. 
And that might be a loaded question that. No, <laughs> it's such me. an important question, Willie. And it just like, I'm like sighing and rubbing my temples because it weighs really heavy on my heart because I have made so many mistakes and still have so much like harm to repair um, that I'm like so very much at the tip of the iceberg with because I was 100% that white leader, like the training program that I went through to open the school. And I think it sort of connects to some of the imposter syndromes. Like I did not think I was in any way qualified or ready to open a school, right? But they're like, well, we'll teach you how to do it. And then I went and saw these different schools and some of them were so egregiously like oppressive in their practices. Like I was like, I am never doing that. Um, but then it's like, well, when that's the context that you're operating in, this school seems so reasonable, right? It's like, right. it's not a silent lunch or it's not like yes. kids are only allowed to walk one direction in the hallway, right? It's just like silent getting to lunch and until, you know, whatever, a bunch of things that are really like appalling to me now that I absorbed and I had a lot of people that I trusted and sort of put in positions of authority. And I'm like, well, they're telling me that this is what works. And this is what led to those schools that I saw that inspired me, like whether it was true or not, right? Connected the dots of that, I'm going to do this. And there were people from maybe not so much in year one, like a little bit, but certainly in year two and year three, who said almost verbatim, the things that you said, right? Like this, I don't feel comfortable with this. Like, why are we having kids walk this way? Why are we having, and I either like pulled out my, white lady intellectualizing, rationalizing, well, blah, 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 blah. This is the reason why this is clearly right. Or in some cases I fired those people because I was like, they're, that's not a team player, right? They don't get the mission. They don't like it is. And I want to be crystal clear. Like I am just, I just want to be transparent for other people. Like I'm disgusted and appalled by my behavior and by my defensiveness and by my unwillingness to be able to like engage. I thought I was engaging in those conversations and I was not listening and I was putting myself up on a different level from these, these other people. Right. And what I, you asked about like the catalyst, what was the turning point? Right. And so one, it was a place that I was gradually, gradually pushing myself from the outside, right? Like I remember um, one of the podcasts that I like that's been a helpful entry point for me because the host is like a white liberal man who's like a very safe entry point for me as like a white liberal-ish, you know, now more leftist, but at that time kind of liberal woman, but he would interview more sometimes radical thinkers. And so he had this woman, Mariama Kaba, uh, who's a prison abolitionist. Um, on the podcast. And I was so impressed and so shaken by her way of thinking about, she was sort of arguing about the reason that I fight for the abolishment of prisons and not reform is because it's about having a vision of like the world. How would the world have to be different if we did not have prisons, right? Like mm -hmm. what things would have to be in place for that world to be true? Right. And it was just sort of this like radical, like push on thinking that it's like, oh, that's like this little seed, this little like push that's in my brain. Meanwhile, I'm sending kids to detention every day. Right. And like walking all these things and dealing with it. And, and it was one of those contexts that 
helps reinforce that thinking, right? We were on a very um, kind of out of control, this very dysfunctional district middle school campus um, where kids were very clearly not getting a good education. And it was a very sort of stereotypical, like we're just letting kids ditch all day, the the host campus. And so we sort of in contrast, right, we're going to be really tightly controlled and create this quote unquote safe, right, environment for our kiddos. One, I think the things that helped me change were letting some people close enough because I trusted their values and starting to create little spaces to listen to them. And I think I was only listening to them at first, like, honestly, as a placating strategy of like, well, I can't lose all these people. So let me at least like give them the space to vent, even if eventually I'm going to convince them why my idea is better. Right. But then also it wasn't working. Like it just wasn't working. We were, we had days where we were taking 60 kids to detention and we were talking, we're like, this makes us feel sick. Like this is awful. Like this does not feel good in our bodies. And for it to not feel good in our bodies with how hard we were pushing ourselves to just like numb out and be busy all the time. Like it gives you a sense of just how wrong it felt. So we're like, something has to change. And then we had in my mind unrelated at the time, but ultimately so critical one of my white, like affluent board members, she was like, the kids at my, my, my kids went to Crossroads, right? Which is like the most, it's where all the celebrities, like the private school that all the celebrities send them, their kids to, very progressive, very whatever. She's like, the only good thing they got out of it was this practice called council, which is basically having people sit in circles, right? And having these, these circle conversations. It was great. You all should do it. Like, okay, whatever. We'll, we'll try this. That sounds interesting. And so we started integrating these council practices. We went to these trainings for council in our third year of the school. We started dabbling in it. It started surfacing like, oh, there's some stuff here, but we weren't really digging. We'd have like a conversation, be like, oh, okay. Like letting people release, right? But not really dealing with it. And then sort of moving on. And then George Floyd happened at Ahmaud Arbery and just all, all the whole thing, it was like building, right? And we were like, we... We got to do something. We're virtual, right? Because it's a pandemic. Like we, we have to have a council about this. And we almost didn't. We were like, should we, should we not, right? Um, but also I think even as I was um, being a very toxic white lady, I also recognized like I needed and wanted a my more diverse team. And I was actively continuing to prioritize diversity and hiring and bringing these voices. It was like these two sides of my brain were at war, I think, right? I was like enacting a system that I believed in, but I was also like, oh, I like, I love this person. I want them part of my team. And I'll just like convince them. I'll like brainwash them basically into like this system. But so I was like incepting my own team with these people who were like pushing on stuff, right? Um, And some of those folks were like, we need to have a council. So we had this council and I had other questions planned, but the first question was just like, how are you coming into this? Like, where are you at? What is on your heart, right? As we enter this circle, that took two hours. (laughs) Um, And we just went around and everybody got to speak and people to their credit. And I guess it's some indication of like some incremental progress we'd built in at least allowing people to say stuff without repercussions, whether we were actually changing it, we would let them say it. (laughs) 
people were honest and they were like, there are things that have made me deeply uncomfortable for a while. Many of them, like there were many folks in the like, I voiced this before, right? Right, right. It hurts my heart. Like we are complicit basically is, is what came out of this. Like there's this broader thing going on and we are complicit and we have a role to play. And then we had this moment as a leadership team where it's like, okay, do we do kind of what we've done in the past, which is like, great circle. Glad you all got it out. Let's move right along. Business as normal. Maybe we'll make some kind of superficial change. Or do we allow these voices to start driving things forward? And that was the decision that we made. And I, I say we intentionally, because I could not have done it myself. And what we ended up doing was our dean and our AP, two men, right? White man, black man, along with some other folks who were really vocal and thoughtful in the circle. We invited them. We said, we want you all without Sue there, right? To start exploring these ideas further and think about what are ways that we as a school can make a change. Mm 